Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up. BFW's weekly show where we hit on some of the major stories of the week. And again, it's always an eventful week with Bayern Munich. Obviously, there was some great game action, but there was also plenty of news off the field, and we are going to hit on that right about now. Uh, I'm going to preface this by saying I am joined uh, on this broadcast uh, by my dog, who is, I guess, five months old now, and I am praying does not uh, cause a ruckus as uh, I'm doing this. I could not actually shepherd her out of my office for this, so uh, we'll see if things go well right now. She is lying on the floor. I had a couple of surgeries last week, so she's a uh, not quite back to her normal self, but she is, uh, she's getting there. She just looks ridiculous because my wife put a stupid Miami t-shirt on her and a, uh, like an inner tube type thing to, I guess, replace those awful cones that dogs wear when they, uh, after they have surgery. So, uh, yeah, she looks like a tourist getting ready to board a plane to South beach because the tube thing looks like one of those airport neck pillows, but, uh, aside of the ridiculous look, everything else is going well. So, uh, (laughs) enough of dog talk. Let's get to, uh, Bayern Munich and just, let's just quickly touch on the events of the past couple of games. And of course, uh, Bayern Munich was excellent in both, uh, last weekend, Bayern crushed Bayer Leverkusen 5-1 uh, in just an excellent effort. Um, Bayern just looks so, so good. Uh, and just when you, you know, you think you might have a little bit of doubt, and of course, uh, being the positive gentleman that I am, I didn't have much doubt coming off of the Eintracht Frankfurt loss. But there was some out there, and people were not necessarily, uh, you know, throwing up red flags or hitting the alarm or anything crazy like that. But that aura of invincibility went out the window with the Eintracht Frankfurt game for a lot of people. And while it's nice to have that, and it's really nice when a team is just clicking on all cylinders for so long, like Bayern Munich was, uh, that Frankfurt game was just a temporary setback. And Bayern proved that as they went on destroyed Leverkusen, who just looked overmatched. I mean, completely overmatched. It was a not a great effort from them, but Byron was was really, really strong, especially in the first half, obviously, and uh, just took control of the game and never really let up. It was a really like a, a landmark game for Julian Nagelsmann as it looked like the team had fully, fully embraced everything that he had wanted. And uh, we're just seeing a lot of interesting things from this team, and we'll touch on a couple of them after we hit on the next game, but uh Nagelsmann has players doing some different things. He's got them lining up in different places and moving around and it's working. It's working really well. So uh, obviously in the Champions League this week, Byron smoked Benfica 4-0, but it wasn't always really a smoke job. It was very, very close, uh, especially in the first half, really competitive, uh, very physical. Uh, Benfica was super aggressive, just like you would expect a veteran team uh, to be like as they're protecting their home turf. Uh, Benfica, while not overly skilled, at least compared to Bayern, um, you know, they, they did threaten Bayern at times. Uh, at other times, they were just withstanding Bayern's pressure. Uh, really, in the first five minutes, Bayern could have been up 2-0, even 3-0. And Bayern had so many opportunities, and, and it just was, the pressure was on and on and on. And then eventually, they would hit a little bit of a lull, Benfica would take over momentarily and they would get their own opportunity. So it was a good 
back and forth, a lot of punches traded, a lot of bodies flying all over the place. Uh, I, I enjoyed the match from that standpoint. Uh, but it, what was really impressive to me about how Byron played against Benfica was how they were able to turn it on and ramp it up and take control of the game when they absolutely needed to. And I thought they were excellent in the second half. And you could see every change that was made by Dino Topmuller, who was filling in for Julian Nagelsmann, which we'll hit on in a second. Um, it worked. Every, uh, every possession, it just looked like Bayern was a threat to score. And I came away super impressed. I mean, Leroy Sané and Kingsley Coman were just about as dynamic as we've ever seen them. Coman was unguardable. He was dazzling. His footwork was great. He was able to able to whip in some good crosses. And, he, you know, it wasn't one of those games where we've seen him go back and forth, where sometimes he just looks like a brilliant player who always pushes the right buttons. And then sometimes he does struggle with decision-making, just like, you know, Thomas Muller can go through the same thing. Um, it's kind of funny because while they're not the same type of player, I do feel like at some points Coman and Muller do share that, uh, that, that, I guess, trait where when they're in the final third, every so often they look to get a little too pretty. Like Muller, instead of looking for his shot, will often try and make the extra pass. And it's like, dude, just shoot the ball. You're in position. You have a better opportunity than whoever you're passing to just shoot it. Whereas Coman every once in a while, will shoot when he should cross. So it's, uh, you know, two players that sometimes uh, do struggle with their decision-making, but obviously Coman was great. Muller, as always, was was also very good in the game. Same for Lewandowski. Uh, but back-to-back, very complete efforts for Bayern Munich. And the second one was without Julian Nagelsmann, as we talked about. Uh, Nagelsmann missed the Benfica game initially because it was reported he was sick. As it turns out, he was a victim of the Rona, uh, as some people in the U.S. call it. Yep, uh, Nagelsmann tested positive for COVID-19, so he will be out for quite a bit depending on when he can produce negative tests. Uh, Where this gets interesting for Bayern, as we saw in a story from Build, is that according to the report, Bayern does have five players who are unvaccinated. While those players were not named, um, I think it's, you know, one of those situations where not only do you worry about the health and safety of those players, you worry if there could be any type of fallout within the locker room, not mentally or verbally or people fighting or anything like that. But, you you know, I'm no medical expert, but it seems to be that if you're not vaccinated, you have a better chance of not just getting the virus, but also spreading it. And as we all know, it doesn't matter whether you're vaccinated or not, you can still get COVID-19. So uh, hopefully the situation is revolved. It's resolved pretty quickly. Hopefully the virus doesn't spread and Bayern does not get any more uh, positive test results. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of people will be kind of crossing their fingers with this, knocking on some wood and hoping that this is just isolated to Julian Nagelsmann. But as we've seen throughout, you know, this whole pandemic and as things have evolved with COVID-19, it's rarely the case that there's one isolated person that has it. It's usually a couple of others. So, Hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully this works out in Byron's favor, but it will definitely be a story that we will be following on BFW. As for Dino Topmuller, who filled in for Nagelsmann, I thought he did a great job. It was kind of funny that Nagelsmann is such a control freak that he was uh, relaying messages, uh, especially with substitutions, <laughs> to Topmuller. So uh, we do what we do know, I guess, is that whether Nagelsmann is 
actually in the coaching box or not, he will be in control of the team. So uh, anyone that was thinking there might be a drop off without him, I don't think we'll experience that. But it will be uh, it will be kind of interesting to see how the team responds to Top Muller moving forward until Nagelsmann comes back, and to see if Byron can maintain this high level of play that they have. Not only do they have Hoffenheim coming up on Saturday, but then next Wednesday they have Borussia Mönchengladbach in the Pokal. And then you follow with Union Berlin on Saturday, October 30th, and then a rematch with Benfica on Tuesday, November 2nd, and then followed by SC Freiburg on November 6th. So there is a jam-packed schedule for Bayern Munich uh, coming up. And, you know, who really knows how much of Julian Nagelsmann will see during that time. If Nagelsmann cannot produce a positive test result, I believe the first game he would be back and be eligible would be against SC Freiburg on November 6th. And that's if he does not produce a negative test result. So there's a good chance we could see him before that, but worst case scenario, I think November 6th is the date that Byron would get him back. So yeah, my impression on those two games, Byron was dominant. They were ruthless. They were physical. They were aggressive. They were great. And you can't ask for much more. The team is responding to the coaching. The team looks like it is in great form. This looks like a Champions League winning team, if you ask me right now. Uh, you know, and, and I guess that'll help us segue to some of the other things that are going on with the team. And this obviously wasn't a, a huge week in terms of transfer rumors and news that broke that way. We did see a couple of smaller things um, come out. We also saw Uli Honus. Uh, declaring war on vegans because they're overly aggressive with their, uh, I guess, their philosophy on food. <laughs> so that was kind of one of our, our fun stories of the week where you don't always come across uh, a prominent figure uh, addressing <laughs> a large group of people like that. But it was, it was kind of funny. We got a kick out of it on the site. If you missed that post, you could check it out. It was one of our off the crossbar pieces. But I guess the two biggest transfer rumors that we saw this week uh, one was Antonio Rudiger, obviously with Chelsea, the talks there, you hear different reports every day. And right now, the, the most recent thing that we saw from ESPN is that they have stalled out and that Rudiger would like to roughly double his salary or double the salary that Chelsea is offering him. If you believe the ESPN report, it looks like uh, that Chelsea is offering uh, Rudiger, roughly 150,000 pounds per week. And Rudiger is said to be receiving offers from clubs outside of England at roughly 300,000 pounds per week. So obviously that's a huge difference. Uh, one that would probably make a player like Rudiger consider that offer. Now, who are the clubs offering Rudiger? I mean, obviously Chelsea is maybe the one of the richest clubs in the world. Well, not maybe they certainly are probably one of the top five richest clubs. Uh, so it'd be hard to think they couldn't match if they wanted to, but who could be throwing around that kind of loot? Well, obviously two of the clubs that were prominently mentioned in ESPN's article were Bayern Munich and Real Madrid, who both were said to feel quote unquote confident about their chances of being able to land Ruger, which is very interesting to me because I don't necessarily see a spot at Bayern Munich right now for Rudiger, but I guess if Nicolas Sula does move on, which is a distinct possibility, we haven't seen any movement on that front either. 
uh, that Byron could be interested, but that would seem like a pretty steep salary for Byron to cough up in this market. Uh, I'm not quite sure that uh, it really works for Byron, but I mean, Rudiger is a quality player and I know he's had a lot of detractors over the years, but uh, I think he's gotten to a point in his career where he's been able to fix a lot of the holes in his game and become a really dependable and reliable backline player for Chelsea. Uh, For the German national team, Rudiger seems to be more up and down, Uh, you know, I guess it was Hansi Flick's first international break, I believe it was, um, where Rudiger looked good. Uh, During the most recent one, I don't believe, at least in my opinion, um, he was as solid as I think many people would like. So just to give you the breakdown, if those rumors were true and if it was uh, Bayern Munich uh, indeed offering Rudiger upwards of what would be 356 100,000 euros per week, uh, that would be about an 18 and a half million euro salary for the year. So um, we'll see. I, I'm not quite sure if Bayern would bump Rudiger into that echelon of player. Uh, I believe right now Sula is right around the 10 million or Sula is asking for something like 10 million. If you're going to offer me Sula at 10 million per year, Versus Rudiger at 18, I'm taking Sula seven days a week. I just think Sula is a better, more complete player, uh, obviously a little younger, obviously a uh, bigger ceiling for me. So I, I would take Sula in that. Uh, if you had to make a choice between one or the other, I would, I would definitely look to invest in him. But uh, again, something we'll keep an eye on with Rudiger. These rumors are persisting and they're going on. It really would not shock me if he resigns with Chelsea, although Real Madrid is a, is a possibility, and we've also seen that Juventus and PSG are also in the mix. So he's got some uh, some possibilities out there if he really wants to make a move. Uh, the other rumor that we saw, and I guess I'll tie in two rumors here. Um, one was that Bayern would have interest in Dusan Blahovic, uh, Fiorentina, be if Robert Lewandowski was not retained. And I guess this is more of a long-term rumor because we don't know what's going to happen with Lewandowski. Obviously, his contract ends in 2023, so we've got a little while to get there. It's been reported that he wants an extension. In fact, he said, you know, uh, he doesn't really want to move on in his career at this point. Like he doesn't have that burning desire to play in England or to play in Spain, like we've seen so many other times um, reported. It just seems like he is content now to to stay in Germany and ride out his career best he can. Uh, but I guess it really is a debate now within the Bayern boardroom. How long do you commit to Lewandowski if you can get him to sign a contract? How much do you pay him? And what are the plans for what happens when he eventually does retire or you need to start phasing him out? And this is something I think that the Bayern board is really struggling with right now. Uh, one, Lewandowski is in great form still. He's still the most dangerous striker on the planet. And he doesn't look like he's going to slow down anytime soon. He's a physical marvel. And I think while some of the pictures that are out there, like there's that famous one from when they were in Doha a couple of seasons ago, where he looks like the incredible Hulk. But I think people don't realize like when he's not strenuously doing an exercise and his veins aren't popping, like he doesn't look like the incredible Hulk. Okay. I mean, he's definitely got a great physique. He takes care of himself. He's a relentless uh, worker in the weight room and, and is tirelessly looking for new ways to improve 
uh, his health. Um, none of that is debatable. He's in great shape, but you know, I, I, I can't see any instance of him slacking off that. And I do think some people when, you know, they start throwing around stupid steroid accusations and stuff, just look at him when he's televised, he's not bulging out of the uniform. Like his chest isn't ripping the shirt or anything like that. He's, he's just a, you know, he's a well-cut dude who takes care of himself and uh, you know, he's, you know, laser focused in on his career. So he's never going to be a player that, that falls out of shape by any means. Um, you know, he, he is a guy that I also could see playing for four to five more years. And that's where this all gets so difficult for Bayern Munich. How do you walk away from him? When does he slow down? And when is the perfect moment to pull that trigger to transition to a new striker? I mean, these are all things that are so hard to answer. And I've, you know, beaten this into the ground. I would, I would buy Erling Holland and I would find a way to make them both work for a few years until Lewandowski eventually does slow down. Uh, but that's probably not going to happen. And I don't know if Lewandowski would want to play with Holland. Um, I think Julian Nagelsmann is the perfect guy to find a way to make it work. He has worked with two striker systems before. And it also, you know, he is creative enough to find different roles for Lewandowski within formation that would allow him to still be the primary goal scorer while not necessarily playing striker by himself. So uh, I, I'm in, extremely intrigued to see what happens with this, but to see Vlahovic as one of the possibilities, obviously a really good young player, one with a high ceiling, great potential. Don't know, you know, if he is the type of player that would want to make the move to Bayern Munich if he knew Lewandowski would still be here a few years. I can't imagine any striker would want to do that. Um, Vlahovic, unlike Kareem Adeyemi, uh, seems to be more of a traditional center forward, whereas Adeyemi now we have heard is is considering making a move to Bayern Munich to play wing. So, uh, yeah, there's just so many things that could happen. It's a carousel of rumors right now, uh, but everything kind of revolves around Robert Lewandowski and what the club decides on him. And I'm not sure that the club is really in a position to make that decision yet. I think they want to see more. I think they want to see how he holds up over the course of this season. And if he starts to experience a slowdown or if he starts to break down a little bit, I don't expect him to. The man's in phenomenal shape and uh, he doesn't appear to be the kind of player that gets tired. And I would say the same thing about Thomas Muller. While they may have different body types, those two are durable and they absolutely know how to take care of themselves and play the game and keep themselves healthy. So um, this is all going to be very, very difficult for Bayern Munich to make a decision on. And it's going to be one of the, the big decisions in the club's history because, I mean, he Lewandowski is such a talented player. He's so good and he's so impactful on games, not just with his goals, but with how much attention he draws, with his passing, with his post-up play. Everything he does on the pitch requires other teams to account for him. And that's not that often that you have a player like that. And it's not just one player that has to account for Lewandowski. You're talking entire back lines have to know where he is, what he's doing, how to try and stop him. And when you have a player like that, you, you need to hang on to him and you need to draw the most out of him. I honestly just don't know when the right time would be to step away. This is kind of a new age of athletes where players are going to be playing later. They're going to be playing better longer. And, um, you know, Lewandowski seems to be fitting into that category, I think, this is going to be something that Byron's going to have to closely examine, especially during the winter break, and, and start to develop a strategy for how they want to approach this. 
I think that Lewandowski is going to want, I don't know, two to three more years tacked on to the end of his contract, at least. Um, it seems like he's a player that might be able to make that happen and make that manageable. So uh, we will see what happens. But, you know, as we touched on a little bit earlier, uh, you know, Bayern has a challenging stretch coming up. And aside of what the transfer rumors say, uh, to face what Bayern Munich's going to face coming up with Hoffenheim, Mönchengladbach, Union Berlin, Benfica, and SC Freiburg, all occurring from now to November 6th, uh, this is going to be a very, very challenging period. Uh, and hopefully that COVID-19 uh, issue that Byron is kind of working through right now does not rear its ugly head. Because when you look at the Byron roster, they have such great talent. They have such great depth. Um, they are well-equipped to handle this stretch of games. Um, but, you know, should things go wrong? Should multiple players test positive? Should there be an issue? Uh, the wheels can come off kind of quickly. Uh, so, Let's all hope for the best with that. And I think that's going to about wrap up this episode. Uh, I think next week I'm going to try and arrange to have Jake back on. Uh, We'll see if we can make that work with his schedule and my schedule and see if we can sync them up. But, um, you know, thanks as always for listening. Uh, It's always great to bring in the weekend warm up. Of course, check out the weekly column that we have for the weekend warm up as well and follow us for all of the great coverage that we're going to have on Hoffenheim and all the other games this weekend. Uh, You'll obviously be able to get the podcast version of this. You'll be able to get the preview show, the post game show, and then our flagship as well. We've been really good about getting out the four shows every week. And it's been a very rare occurrence that we haven't been able to get the four shows done in a week. So, um, you know, obviously keep following the site. You can get me at the barrel blog on Twitter. You can get the site account at Bavarian FB works where Tommy Adams works his magic. You can get Jake at Jefferson Fenner. You can get Tom on his personal account at Tommy Adams 71 uh, ladies. I don't know what Tom's Tinder account or his Bumble account or whatever you single people use now. Uh, so I can't give you that, but uh, you can also get BFWINNN. That is, I need no names, Twitter handle. So Thanks again for listening. Had a great time with you this week and have a great weekend.